Welcome to the podcast Israel and Christians Today. This podcast is brought to you by Christians for Israel International. Join us on a journey as we explore and discover God's love for and His promises to the Jewish people. Our goal is to understand Israel and world events from a biblical perspective. Enjoy this new podcast episode. Well, hello, everybody. Good morning, good evening, wherever you might be watching or listening. Welcome to another episode of Israel and Christians Today podcasts. My name is Andrew Tucker, and I'm talking with Johannes Gerloff uh, in a series of podcasts. And we're talking about the importance and the relevance of land in our understanding as Christians of the significance of Israel and uh, this whole region, our relationship with the Jewish people. The theme that is running through our conversations is really the, the relevance, the ongoing, continuing relevance of land in God's greater purposes with this world and how we fit in as Christians, how the Jewish people fit in. And we've spoken in the last episodes about Zionism this time, we're going to focus today and in the next couple of episodes, looking at the so-called occupied territories. And in fact, today, Johannes is going to take on the role of uh, firing the questions. Um, and I'm going to put on my hat as an international lawyer today. Uh, a lot of the work that I do is as an international lawyer, trying to understand and grapple with the way that international works in this context, the way people think about international law, the way it's implemented in the system that we have today. And uh, we're going to dive deeper into these topics. Before I hand over to well, Johannes, yeah, jump in. Thank you very much, Andrew. I actually asked for our roles to be switched because um, today I'm working as a Bible teacher and theologian main, mainly, but I've been a journalist for 18 years. And while we were talking, just to explain that to our listeners, while we were talking, there came a lot of questions up in my, um, in my mind. I would like to ask you as a uh, international lawyer, as somebody who is trained in international law, um, let me make one emphasis at the beginning for our listeners also to, to join in to the conversation. I would very much like us to, to distinguish between facts and opinion, also in our conversation. I know that every listener, everybody who, who watches or listens to this podcast would like to have a confirmation about his own opinion and ask at once now, what do you think? What do you mean? If I bombard you today or I grill you, I want to know the facts about the European Union. I'm not so much interested in your opinion. I will give you room for your opinion and, and I hope our listeners will figure that out. But first of all, it's for me the facts because there are a lot of facts that are not clear to me. For example, I still remember when we were told as journalists, it was somewhere around the year 2000, um, that Israeli settlers are criminals of war or war criminals. And this is something that's basically my first question, but it's not, it's not in, I realized then at that press conference, 
it isn't Israelis versus Palestinians. We had this weird situation at the press conference. It was Israeli Peace Now, Yariv Oppenheimer, and the International Red Cross, Rene Kosirnik was the representative of them, and Saib Arikat, the uh, chief negotiator of Yasser Arafat, was also present, but he didn't say a word the whole time. He just sat there and nodded and smiled that the Israeli and the Swiss, who actually should be neutral by definition, they explained to us that Israelis living beyond the green line are war criminals. Now, you were asked in a former podcast or video with Saraf and Orit, you were asked about crimes of war and international law and why Israel is being accused and you at once moved to Gaza and to Lebanon. I want you to stick to the so-called occupied territories. I do not understand today, until today, why you as Australian can live in New Zealand, in, in, in New Zealand as well, but also in, in Holland, why I as a German can live here in Israel, but an Israeli is not allowed to live in this small piece of land called the West Bank or biblically speaking, Judea and Samaria. Why are they war criminals? Okay, well, that, we're, going to, we're going to get into that. Let's, let's just first explain to people, I think very briefly, um, what is this territory we're talking about? Now, we don't have a, a map in front of us, but if you can imagine the map of Israel and what is today known as the West Bank, which is all west of the Jordan River, and then east of the Jordan River, we have the, the very large Hashemite kingdom of Jordan. All of that territory uh, was known 100 years ago as Palestine. Uh, this was a region that was part of the Turkish Ottoman Empire right up to the end of the First World War. And Palestine was just a name for a region, an area. Uh, so everybody living in that region was referred to as Palestinian in some way. You had the Palestinian Post, you had the Palestinian Symphony Orchestra in the time of the Mandate. And 100 years ago, it's very interesting, it, it is exactly 100 years ago that the international community, after the First World War, when a decision had to be made about what to do with the Middle East, which the Turks had lost. The Turks lost the war. So the Allied powers suddenly had control of this massive area, which for them was strategically very important. Amongst other things, they knew there was a lot of oil in this area, particularly in what is today Iraq and eastern part of Syria and so forth. Uh, and they divided it up, as we know. Uh, they divided this area into a series of mandates intended to give the peoples of the Middle East self-determination or independence. And one of the mandates was the mandate for Palestine. And the idea was that Palestine would be the place where the Jews would be entitled to reestablish their national home. Uh, this was, uh, we'll talk more about that. That was an international treaty, the mandate. And the British were given the responsibility to make sure that happened. Now, things become more and more complicated under the mandate um, leading up to the Second World War, the British were still in control of Palestine. We had the tragedy of the Shoah in Europe and the extermination of half of European Jewry 
who were locked in Europe. They were unable to go to Palestine, which was intended to be their safe haven. That's a story in itself about why that was able to happen. And it wasn't until three years after the Second World War that the State of Israel was established and the mandate came to an end. And ever since then, there's been a controversy, uh, a discussion, endless discussion about what is Israel? What are its borders? Um, and Israel was immediately attacked by the Arab world. It's very important we understand this, in my view, because it, it, it helps us in a moment when we talk about international law, that Israel was attacked by the Arab world. Now, the result was a series of armistice agreements with Jordan, Syria, Lebanon, Iraq, and Saudi Arabia, the countries that had attacked Israel. Um, and the, well, the armistice agreement with Jordan in particular said that there would be a ceasefire line, and it's now become known as the Green Line because it was drawn with a green pencil on the map. Um, and Jordan occupied half of Jerusalem, most important part of Jerusalem being the old city, and all of what is to the Jewish people known as Judea and Samaria, as you said rightly, Johannes, that for the Jewish people known as the heartland of the Jewish national home. It was occupied by Jordan for 19 years. Again, the Arabs attacked or threatened to attack, and in the 1967 Six-Day War, Israel miraculously not only defeated or, or survived this uh, attack from the Arab world, but conquered territory, including all of the West Bank, what Jordan had come to call the West Bank of the Hashemite Kingdom of Jordan. And this is where the whole thing uh, began. And instead of, um, instead of incorporating this territory into the state of Israel, Israel said, and there was a whole discussion in Israel about this, what do we do? They basically said two things. One is we incorporate Jerusalem into the state of Israel. We reunify Jerusalem. We make it part of the state of Israel. But the rest of the West Bank, Judea and Samaria, we do not. And we will negotiate for peace. And the Arabs immediately said no. The three no's of Khartoum, no negotiation, no recognition uh, of Israel and no peace with Israel. And this was the beginning of the very long and complicated negotiations between Israel and the Arab world. Um, so we are talking about the territories that Jordan had occupied, that Israel liberated from their perspective in 1967. And since that time, um, many Israelis have gone to live. We're talking also about Eastern Jerusalem, which is called a settlement by international lawyers, Jews living there since 1967. Um, and Israel has enabled that to happen in one way or another. Uh, they're living in what are large blocks or cities. In fact, East Jerusalem, you can't even call it, it's crazy to call it a settlement because it's a city. People are living there. Um, but nevertheless, so, we're, so the question that we're going to talk about is what are settlements and what are these territories and why is it that Jews are now called war criminals for live, living there?
Maybe Andrew, I, I can, I, I, I would like to get back to my, my original questions. Why are they called war criminals? I remember some years ago, um, I brought Eliakima Etzni, who lives, I think he still lives in Kiryat Arba next to Hebron. He's more than over 90 years old. He was born in Kiel in Germany. And he's a lawyer and later on was also a Knesset member. And I brought him to a group of German uh, legal experts and he came in as a legal expert himself. He came in, I still remember as an 11 year old that in the 1930s, the Germans held up uh, posters saying Jews go to Palestine. So I went and he referred to what you just explained to us and said, I have a right as a Jew to live here in Palestine by all these treaties. And no Israeli government has the right to take me away for whatever reason from here. And still, I mean, he kind of built that up and, and said to these German legal experts, now you call me a war criminal. Why that? It's so, in a way, uh, if we talk about international law, it also looks from my perspective that always it's Israel's fault. Israel's fault. We never talk about what the Palestinians did and where they are from. And, and I mean, you mentioned that uh, the Arab states uh, attacked Israel. It's like Germany attacking Poland. And we lost about a third of Germany and nobody talks about it today. That would be the situation if I compare it. So why are Israelis war criminals? Okay, it's, it's a complicated story, and I'll try and explain the way I understand that the international law arguments are used. Uh, what I think helps me is to, is to see, in my view, you have the world before 1945 and you have the world after 1945. The world ni before 1945 was the world, of the, legally speaking, of the mandate for Palestine, and as you rightly said, the mandate, which is a treaty from 1922, based on the San Remo resolution of the Allied powers in 1920, and the mandate specifically says the Jews, wherever they live in the world, have a right to return to Palestine and a right to settle the lands. It speaks specifically in Article 6 of the right of close settlement of the territory of Palestine. Now, Britain was supposed to help the Jews to settle in the land. Now, we know that because of the conflict during the mandate period, the Arab uh, political leadership under the leadership of the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem was fighting a terror campaign against Jews settling in the land. And Britain basically succumbed to that pressure and put the Jews in little pockets of Palestine, particularly up in the Galilee region and the western part of the coastland of, um, of what is, you know, Tel Aviv and that kind of area, and not in the mountains uh, of Judea and Samaria. So, in fact, before 1945, definitely there were Jewish communities in Judea and Samaria, but they were not the main ones. This was because of British policy. Okay. Um, the reason I mention 1945 is because of the UN Charter, which came into force at the end of 1945, and it changed international law radically. It introduced the principle 
that you cannot acquire territory by force. This is the main principle that lawyers are relying on. And when they, uh, when they object to Israel's potential claim to our so-called annexed territory, the main reason they're saying that's illegal is because it infringes this prohibition on the acquisition of territory by force. That's, that's the main principle. Uh, the second thing that the UN Charter does is it, uh, it creates the institutions of the UN to protect peace and security. So you now have a General Assembly and a Security Council whose job is to make sure there is peace and security in the world. You really didn't have that before 1945. The League of Nations was completely ineffective, didn't have the authority, the power, but the UN potentially does politically. Um, so when Israel was created in 1948, after the UN Charter came into being, it was, a, it was unclear what the borders of Israel were. And if you look at the Israeli Declaration of Independence, uh, I think it confusingly refers back to the UN Partition Plan of 1947, where there was a plan on the table in the UN to divide up Western Palestine into a Jewish and an Arab state. So this, this, this sort of paradigm in, in the mind was that somehow... Palestine needs to be divided between the Arabs and the Jews. And later the Arabs became known as Palestinians. Um, if you talk now about Palestine, sorry for interrupting you. If you just to clarify that, if you now talk about Palestine, you're not talking about the mandate of Palestine you were referring or explaining earlier. You talk about a remainder of 25% of this original Palestine. So, That's correct. so, and this again should be divided. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Okay. Now, so, look, I, I, just, I just want to mirror you the, the situation of the Israelis. First of all, the Israelis are content with, or historically have been content with whatever they get, even a state without Jerusalem. That was pol what politicians were talking about in 1948, 49. But they are not aware or they are not, uh, they feel not accused if you talk about a, a, achieving or, or gaining territory through force. Because also in 1967 in the Six Day War, they were attacked by Jordan, even though they had talked before to Jordan and say, this war is not against you. Jordan joined in because they fell prey to Arab propaganda. And Israelis, in a way, they don't feel even, even if they live on the other side, they don't feel guilty. And if I look into Israeli society of somebody living here now for three decades nearly, I, I have to say that even Israelis who are against the settlements and say, give it all to the Arabs, they do this because they want peace. Now, please explain to me, and I, I, maybe I have to, to clarify why this is an important question. I tried to look into the whole settler situation, settlement situation in Judea and Samaria. And later on, when I understood a little bit, I tried to bring European politicians. And they told me, 
as a European politician, I'm not allowed to visit them, to see them, even Israeli settlers. Now, as you rightfully pointed out, also a lot of Jerusalemites are settlers. They're not aware themselves. And it's about a tenth today, 10% of the whole Israeli population that the European Union and all these member states do not have even a diplomatic tool or level or track or whatever you call it to talk to them, to understand them, to get their position. Mm. How is that possible? And then the strong word war criminal is used. Yeah. Okay. So what, let me just try and sort of take you step by step through the legal reasoning. Um, um, and, and interrupt me, you know, as I'm going along, if, if, it, if it's not clear. Uh, I think, you know, the, the broader dimension is um, a lot of this thinking has come from the Israeli, uh, from Israel itself, and a particular line of thinking within Israel and the Jewish world. After 1967, when the whole discussion took place about what to do with these territories, a very strong opinion developed, and it started with the legal opinion of the legal advisor to the Ministry of Foreign Affairs immediately after the Six-Day War, who advised the foreign minister, <clears throat> and he said, the world community considers this to be occupied territories. Uh, I believe, legally speaking, it is occupied territory. Therefore, we should treat it as occupied territory. This is the advisor speaking internally within Israel to the... Israeli advisor. Israeli advisor. It's an internal document. Now, that was a position um, that Israel adopted then um, was to acknowledge that this could be considered occupied territories. Okay, so what does it mean to be occupied territory? This is the law, it's part of the law of war, international humanitarian law, and it's called the, the rules of belligerent occupation. And it goes way back to even before the First World War. Um, when two parties are in conflict, two states, and one state or party takes territory in the course of the conflict, which is disputed, then until a peace treaty is reached, international humanitarian law says the occupying power must treat the civilian population in a certain way. It must protect them. It must not change the status quo. It must not impose its own legal system. It's got to keep the status quo until the conflict is resolved by means of a peace treaty. That's step one. Step two is you had the fourth Geneva Convention in 1949. There was a series of Geneva Conventions, 1949, whereby extra rules were added, uh, further, uh, let's say, protecting the civilians of occupied territories. And one of the provisions, Article 49.6, says that the occupying power shall not transfer or deport its civilians into occupied territory. It's also not allowed to deport or transfer occupied civilians out of the territory into their own. Why is that provision there? Because this is exactly what Germany and Russia were doing 
during and after the Second World War, ethnically cleansing parts of territory they had acquired and trying to create facts on the ground, put their people into these territories. Um, and this is, of course, something that particularly in Europe, we don't want to see happening again. And I think this partly explains why there's this European, strong European view, because the whole concept came out of Europe in response to uh, the Second World War. Now, it is said, technically speaking, Israel then in 1967, when it took control of East Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, occupied those territories under the Fourth Geneva Convention. Uh, so factually speaking, it's occupied territory. There's nothing illegal about occupation. International law does not make occupation illegal. What it makes illegal is this act of transferring or deporting population. Now, there was a conflict between Israel and Jordan in the Six-Day War. So the argument is you had a conflict between two contracting parties under the Fourth Geneva Convention. Israel is a party to the convention. Jordan was a party to the convention. Therefore, you have uh, a conflict. And whatever Israel may say about its prior territorial uh, position in those territories, you have, legally speaking, a case of occupation. Therefore, these rules apply. Therefore, Israel is not allowed to move its civilians into the territory or move Palestinians out of the territory. Andrew, thank you very much for trying to make something very complicated, more easy, understandable for me. So the, the basic point is that if I just uh, try to summarize that, that Israel is not allowed to transfer, according to the Geneva Conventions, transfer or deportate its own population into the occupied territories in yeah. order to change the status quo. Yeah. Now, I, we have to come to an end, and, and I have the feeling we have to continue this conversation, but I just want to mention also for our listeners that you did not mention a few important facts. First of all, the territory Israel occupied was previously annexed by Jordan against international law. So today we're talking about an Israeli-Palestinian conflict, and I asked, and you did not mention this, I asked an, an international lawyer and he said that there is a problem that the Geneva Convention can only be applied if there are two states that both um, accepted the Geneva Convention for, the, Convention for themselves and the Palestinians never did. So that's the second point. Israel occupies a territory, if I summarize that, that was promised to the Jews by the League of Nations. that was illegally annexed by Jordan, and, uh, and, and now it occupies it from an, from a, from a sit, in a situation of somebody who is not a state at all, a non-state entity, and uh, the, the, it's actually, it creates a huge problem that in the end, Israel saw this legal vacuum there and said, under Israeli law, we apply the Geneva Con Conventions. 
Now, what I would suggest, if you don't, uh, you are the host actually, and I took it over from you, I'd very much like to, con uh, to, 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 to continue this conversation because I still have a few more questions. And I know and I see how difficult it is for you to, to bring it in a way to an end and so that I, as a simple journalist, may understand that. We did not talk about the Bible and we did not even talk about your opinion at all. Also, that should have some room, but um, maybe we make a cut here and ask our uh, listeners for some patience because of the time. And we will continue with this, from my point of view, very interesting conversation. And thank you for your patience and thank you for letting me change the rules and letting me ask you my questions. Good, good, Janus. Yes, we've, we're only starting to unpack all of this. We haven't got into the whole question of war crimes, for example, yet. Uh, so there's, there's still an, a lot of topics we need to, to go through. So, yeah, let's, let's pick up the conversation uh, next time. And, um, and, we'll, and we'll try and unwrap and unbundle this very complicated uh, set, of, set of arguments and facts. Look forward to speaking to you next time. Shalom from Jerusalem. Shalom. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode. We'd like to connect with you online. Find us on Facebook, visit our YouTube page and check out our website. For now, thank you for listening and we'd like to see you next time. Bye-bye.